I'm going to read for you the first 12 verses as we continue our study on the kingdom. And right now we're in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, the, the Beatitudes. And uh, <clears throat> they obviously relate very much to the kingdom. So as we just kind of reacclimate ourselves to this, I want us to see our text this morning. <clears throat> Excuse me. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him, and then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, that's the idea of sorrowing over sin, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, or those who are gentle, for they shall inherit the, the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful. For they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs <coughs> excuse me, is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just ask again that you will bless this time. We thank you, Father, again for the time that we have had of worshiping you in several different ways this morning. And we thank you, Father, for your word. We pray that, again, you will just bless this time. Give us understanding and give us minds and hearts that want to apply what your word has to say. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So just to briefly kind of go through what we've been talking about, and it's going to be very brief this morning for various reasons, but we're continuing our study on the kingdom of God. We're making our way through the Beatitudes, and we will finish them today. But here Jesus described the character of someone who belongs to the kingdom of heaven. So again, this is not a prescription for how to get into heaven, it's a description for those who are already a part of the kingdom of heaven. Right. And so as we consider that, we, we, um, we really made sure that people understood that last week more so as we compared the fact that Jesus said, you know, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and it, different things like that. We may not use that exact verse, but the idea is we come to him first. We come to him in truth. We come to him uh, understanding who he is, and we come to him because we have no other one to go to. He is our hope. And in considering all of that then, Jesus is saying, these are characteristics of folks who are in the kingdom. These are, these are ways to recognize whether or not we are in the kingdom. Perfectly uh, demonstrated in our lives? No, right? But there, there still should be some consistency here. And so today we're going to start with the idea of uh, peace promoter. That is one of the characteristics. And that comes from Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Peacemaker doesn't just describe the role of a negotiator, right? And by the way, we're going to talk about what it's not first. Um, <clears throat> This would be far too formal of a description and too narrow of a description. It would make peacemaking kind of exclusive and specialized. Like you had to know how to negotiate with people in order to be a peacemaker. And that's not really quite where we're at. Nor does it describe merely a maintainer of peace. There isn't necessarily anything wrong with maintaining peace, right? That's, that's a good thing. And that's part of what a peacemaker does. But a peace promoter would certainly keep the peace, but it's more than just maintenance. We cannot maintain or preserve peace at all cost. Does that make sense? There's a certain point where to make peace is to compromise. What would Jesus have had to do in order to maintain peace while he was on the earth? In order to make peace with the religious leaders of his day. Folks, I'm just going to be blunt. He would not have died for us. 
You think about that for a minute. Let that sink in. Do you understand? I mean, this is interesting. That when Jesus was tempted by the devil, that really what he was saying was, I'm going to give you a peaceful existence. See, the alternative that Satan was actually presenting to Christ was, I can give you all the things that seem like you're a king. I can give you all the things that are going to make you feel real good. But it's a counterfeit to what the Father had in store, to what the Father's will of the Son was. But he wouldn't have had to go to the cross. So peace at all costs, a maintainer exclusively, is not what we're talking about. And peace isn't just conflict management, right? When we find ourselves in some kind of stressful situation or something like that, it's not just how to figure out, you know, how to manage that. A peacemaker is an active promoter of peace. They bring peace where it is absent. Yes, that's very important. They endeavor to solve conflicts and restore relationships. Definitely there. But a person who promotes peace encourages it by a consistent lifestyle faithful to the character of Christ. So as we're going about living our lives for Jesus Christ, there is a natural, a spiritual but natural tendency for us to not create conflict but instead solve it or prevent it to begin with. Those who are endeavoring to make and keep, preserve, promote peace do that by their good nature and even temper, positively influencing other people around them. Recently, we talked about, you know, things that we're supposed to put off and things we're supposed to put on way back in Colossians. I know it sounds like a long time ago, but it's not that long ago we'd studied that. Well, what we're putting off are those selfish tendencies that we have. A lot of that had to do with, you know, the anger and some of the things that can take place. Whereas what we're putting on is, is that gentleness and that kindness, that love, that patience, those different things. So how does Scripture flesh this out? Let's look at some passages here, and I think you're going to, to enjoy uh, looking at some of these because it's going to help us out with, with what else is said. In Romans chapter 14, verses 17 through 19, it says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Well, that just kind of goes right with what we're talking about, doesn't it? Acceptable to God, but there's also an approved by men. That's interesting. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify or build up another. So in this context, I just want to remind us, it was about convictions of eating and observing special days. Okay, what we're to eat, what we're not supposed to eat, and, and then significant days that were supposed to be set aside and remembered. Okay, obviously, usually related to spiritual things. Paul warns believers not to judge one another. That's what this context is. It's, it's those who maybe didn't eat certain things, right? Looking at those and saying, well, what are you doing? That, that's wrong. You're violating. Right? Whereas someone else says, hey, I'm free to do this. What's wrong with you? How come, how come you, you, you're not getting with the program? All right? But that's not where we should end things. It's not just good enough to simply not judge. Like so many times we consider God's will, we are given what we are not supposed to do, what we are supposed to stop, but we're also given what we are to, are to do. Paul qualifies his instructions as being within the kingdom of God. Did you notice that? Don't let that slip because that's our subject. <laughs> and so he says, for the kingdom is not this. The kingdom looks more like this, which is living 
peaceably. We've got to pursue the things that make for or promote peace. We need to keep the context in mind. These flashpoints are not over doctrine, but over preferences. Do you understand that? It's not, it's not over the things that, that we really need to hold to, but it's over these extra things that we add, the preferences that we have. When we try to reinforce our positions or make efforts to win, we encourage strife and division, which only bring harm. Selfishness cannot produce or promote peace. <laughs> Ephesians 4, verses 2 through 5 say this, With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, there is one body and one Spirit, just as we were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Now, folks, you know, we talk about sometimes Scripture being packed with meaning. There's, just, there's a lot jam-packed in here. So I'm really summarizing this, okay? We're, we're bringing this alongside of the passage that we're looking at and alongside the subject that we're looking at. There's so much here, but look, think about this. What do we have here? We have unity of the Spirit. We have unity of faith. We have unity in identifying with Christ, and you can also see identifying with, with God himself. Um, there is no unity if any of these are compromised. How can, could there be? If there is disunity in faith, then there isn't going to be that peace. So how do we preserve peace? The answer is in the first part of the verse. By being humble and gentle, patient, and by putting up with the differences of others. That's how we pursue peace. Now, this isn't necessarily in the context that we have been looking at yet, but, but I want us to just think about this for a minute. What are the results of peacemaking? It's, it's unity. It's, it's a friendliness, a cooperation. Productivity takes place. D division, that, that, would, that would create situations where we're spending all of our time in, in, in and I, I say we, it could be church, it could be family, it could be anywhere, right? It could be just two individuals. So understand something. I, I'm not trying to insinuate that there are divisions. I'm simply going with the subject that we're talking about. But the promoting of peace, right, brings a productivity because there's a lack of action related to just getting after each other, right? We're on the same team. Therefore, we're moving forward. Now, in all of this, I just want to give us two gentle warnings. I want to be practical about what we're talking about here. Remember, we couch this with the idea peacemaking is not just compromising. Peacemaking is not just, you know, okay, let's make some deals here and stuff and let's figure out how we can all get along, so to speak. No, there are some lines that, that we've got to be careful not to cross, particularly when it comes to, again, what we believe, what the scriptures say, what our, what our responsibilities are as, as, as a Christian. All right, but there's a couple of other practical things I want us to see. I don't know why. This is one of my favorite verses in Scripture. Okay? Now, I don't mean like above salvation or something, but just, just let this one sink in a minute, okay? He who passes by and meddles in a quarrel, not his own, is like one who takes a dog by the ears. Now, the picture that Solomon paints for us is a person holding a dog by the ears, Right? So just kind of picture that. You grab a dog by both of his ears. We need to understand that dogs weren't cuddly family pets back in this day and still aren't in most parts of the world, all right? Back in that day, people didn't dress them up, take them to doggy day spas, or give them their own social media accounts, okay? I mean, we've had dogs in the past, and trust me, they were little pampered puppies, okay? Uh, that's not the idea here. Instead, the idea is grabbing a mean, growling guard dog by the ears. At some point, you have to let go. It's only a matter of time before you get bit. That's the picture. The lesson is that the same holds true with meddling or artificially inserting ourselves into somebody else's business. 
Interfering does not promote peace. And the warning is, interfering is going to get you hurt. Right? (laughs) So, are we warned? (laughs) All right. (laughs) Just, Just think of that, you know what I mean? Okay, you're not happy. I got you under control right now, but eventually <laughs> I'm going to have to let go. And I have no way to defend myself at that point. So it's just what big of a chunk is, is this problem that I just inserted myself into going to take out of me? All right? One more. I promise no more graphic pictures, okay? Where there is no wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no tail bearer, Strife ceases as charcoal is to burning coals and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. Now notice, this is Proverbs 26, 20, and 21. The other one is Proverbs 26, 17. came right out of the same, the same uh, chapter in Proverbs. I thought that was kind of interesting. A slightly different angle was taken in this proverb. This has to do with someone who intends to stir up trouble and flame the differences between people. They are called tailbearers. They have a story to tell or share their opinion that is harmful to someone else. That's the idea here. Someone who pursues peace cannot pursue gossip and criticism and controversies. Instead, they encourage peace by shutting down the storyteller. They remove the fuel for the fire. A peacemaker stops a troublemaker by not listening and by stifling that kind of conversation. So peacemaking... There's some what we don't do involved as well, along with what we do. But the greatest promotion of peace, we need to be reminded, is the gospel of Christ. Romans 5, 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. When we declare the good news of salvation in Christ to people, we are engaging in peacemaking. Let me say that again. When we tell people about who Jesus is, the truth of the gospel We are engaging in peacemaking. Now, you might respond to me, uh, most of the time when I talk about salvation or the things of the Lord, the result is anything but peace. Maybe that's been your experience. I don't want to hear that. You're crazy. You're judging me. Right? There can be all kinds of responses that we can get. All I can say to that is that any declaration or demonstration of peace is not determined by the response. When we seek to make peace, it is not dependent on how someone reacts to us. Let that sink in because it applies to all forms of peacemaking. So that again, means the reaction to peacemaking doesn't determine whether or not peace is being promoted. The results of our efforts do not determine success either, right? I tried, I tried, I just couldn't bring those two parties together, right? Does it mean that you didn't promote peace? If we rightly try to repair a relationship through peacemaking and are rejected, it's still peacemaking. If we work to create an atmosphere of unity and cooperation, but someone chooses not to cooperate, it doesn't erase the nature and the intention of the actions. They're still there. Which also means that the blessing is still there, folks. This is a lesson to us for all of these character qualities. Sometimes we look at things and say, ah, you know, what I do is not going to affect any change, therefore... I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to put out the effort. This is irrelevant to being obedient to the Lord, to having these characteristics come out in a lively fashion. But now let's talk about the promise. The promise that the Lord gave us in relation to being 
someone who is a peace promoter. They shall be called the sons of God. This term son isn't merely a generic form indicating child. You know, this, this is my kid, right? Meaning we shall be called God's children. Right? We are. But this actually is the word for a direct descendant. The term son corresponds with the word inherit that Jesus used in verse 5. The gentle will inherit the earth. This phrase is in the passive voice, they shall be called, which also indicates that we will be called sons, generic term for children, yes, but those who are descendants by someone else. In this case, God himself declares us as his direct descendants. Now, of course, this is spiritual, not physical, but I want us to see this. And part of this goes back to the context of what I read in our scripture reading, Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Now, now this is what's kind of wild here. That you have, uh, let me read on this for a second. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Now that suffered with him, that's going to be our next topic, right? But let's stay here for just a minute. That word son, right, is that, that idea of descendant. Adoption is a um, form of that word descendant. You think about that for a minute. When someone legally adopts someone else, what happens? They actually become that person's child as if they were born into that household. So that idea of son and adoption, those are linked. Those are linked right here as far as the words that God uses here, that Christ uh, or that, that Paul speaks about the Spirit and about Christ and about the Father. So as, as we're looking at this, we're crying out, we're the adopted ones, right? Then it says that we are children of God. That's the more generic use of that. Doesn't cheapen it, folks. That's, that's not the point. But both words are used here. You are the very descendants of God, Right? So how does that fully play out? We're in God's family. We've been adopted. We're fully sunned, right? We're fully his. We're his children now. And it means that we are heirs of all that God is going to pass down. What's he going to pass down? The kingdom. Who's the head of the kingdom? Christ. But we are joint heirs with him. So, so as, as we're thinking through this then, we are the heirs to the kingdom. All right. Now, one more, one more slide here. I want you to look up Galatians chapter 4. That's in 1010 of your pew Bibles if you need it. Galatians chapter 4. I'm going to read for you the first seven verses. And again, there's a lot here, but I, I want us to see that this is reinforced. Galatians 4, verses 1 through 7. Now I say that the heir, as long as he's a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he's master of all. Galatians 4, verse 2. But under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You see how these are matching up? Now, now when it says spirit of his son, this, this is the Holy Spirit sent from the son. This is, this is God, the Holy Spirit. All right. So when he resides in us, that proves who we are. We read that already back in Romans 8. So let me start at verse 7 again. Therefore, we are no longer a slave, but a son, and of a son, then an heir of God through Christ. But then, indeed, when you were not... I'm sorry, I wanted to stop right there. Okay, so we got that. I think all that whole like computer flipping things got me going here. But anyway, so let's put all this together. 
Jesus is saying that God will declare those who promote peace and unity heirs of the kingdom. That's exactly what he is saying here. And we see this backed up multiple times now in Scripture. Do you think that's an important thing then, folks? I think so. And now we're going to transition over to the, to the next subject, the, the last subject in this section, the persecuted. Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12 say this, Blessed are those, now, okay, blessed, happy, favored, right? This, this is a joyful thing is what he's saying, right? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when, you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, just, just to pause for a moment and make a very obvious observation. How much more is said about persecution? compared to all those other character qualities, right? There's a little bit of explanation that Jesus gives, and he says, blessed twice. So he must be needing to convey some things. This is persecution for righteousness' sake. The subject of persecution follows immediately after a promised blessing to peacemakers, and also concludes this series of blessings. We must take notice that every character quality at this point is an observation of something the person is actively doing, right? Some examples, just examples. A citizen of the kingdom sorrows over their sin and over the sin of the world. A citizen of the kingdom strongly desires to live a holy life. A citizen of the kingdom promotes peace in their relationships. But persecution is a break from all of these other observed character qualities. Persecution is committed against the citizen of the kingdom. This isn't something that we develop. It's something that happens to us. It is not something that we actively do. And by the way, uh, I, I think I've met some people like this. It's also not something that we should purposefully try to bring upon ourselves, right? I don't know. And I'm trying not, not to be like rude here, but I mean, sometimes you run into people where it's like, you know, let me figure out how I can get persecuted here. All right. You know what I'm saying? And, and it, it, I don't know, it's a little twisted, but apparently that's just how they get energized. Um, that's not where we're supposed to be. Okay. Um, how do I say this? This is not going to be an exhaustive look at persecution. That's not by design. But folks, we, we, we do have to draw the distinction. Persecution is not suffering from something wrong that we do. Even if we have the right truth and the right basis, but we go about it the wrong way. All right? So how does Jesus describe persecution here? Let's go through some of these terms. To revile. Revile means to criticize, to complain against, to mock, to object to, to condemn. Persecute. And you say, wait a minute, we, he just talked about persecution. This is the more specific use of the word. It means to cause, to flee, to pursue, literally or figuratively. That's what persecute actually means. It means to go after and then he says to say all kinds of evil against you falsely. Any and every form of malicious, hurtful speech or any kind of speech intended to hurt someone. And by the way, reviling is more of that in-your-face thing. You Christian, you think you're so holy. Right? Whereas saying all manner of evil against you is more of the, who does this guy think he is? Right? They're so judgmental. Now, again, we, we need to pause and remember 
that this is for the sake of Christ. This is the qualifier of the verse. Biblical persecution is directly linked to who we are and who we serve. We are either persecuted for our actions as a follower of Christ, or we are persecuted for identifying with Christ. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment, but I've I've got to bring forward something that that Brother Larry said this morning. As he was talking about this, he said, said, really, uh, and we're we're talking about Acts 4 here is what he was referencing. He said, really, as as the the, um, the now apostles are being persecuted by the, the Jewish leadership, what they're doing is, is they are, they are um, actually attacking Christ himself. That, that's, that's what the scriptures told us there. All right? But here's the interesting thing. What are we told as far as a response? We're told specifically, our fight is not with flesh and blood. We're not supposed to be attacking the people that are attacking us. We're not supposed to be, you know, going against them and responding and reacting. So, so it's, it's so wild. It's so tilted. But what else could be true? We're attacked because of who we represent. We're attacked because of why, how we are living because of who Jesus is. Whereas we turn around, we're supposed to understand that this is a spiritual battle. I'm not throwing verbal or physical punches, right, at a person. That doesn't mean, you know, that there isn't conversation. It doesn't mean that, but it's a spiritual battle, folks. And we need to remember that. That's why God can tell us that gentleness and love and patience and these other things, the fruit of the Spirit, there's no law against those. There's no limitation to those. You can exercise those all you want. God's not going to say, oh, you did that too much. Right? So now let's look at some scriptures here. John 15, 18 through 19. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So what's the lesson here? Don't be shocked by this. I know many of you have heard this before. But listen, especially when we think of our young people. And I, I, folks, I'm not trying to just, just you know, whip out these easy you know, uh, political controversial things, but it's a reality. I remember, I remember being in high school. I remember s- sitting and, and having to endure some pretty rough conversations with a teacher who was giving us secular humanism. They were doing their job. They were giving us the curriculum. I didn't agree with it. I tried not to be a jerk about it, but some of the things that they said just weren't true. Now take and put a young person today who is going to demonstrate their faith, who is going to live for Christ on a secular college campus. where literally some campuses are saying, there is no room for you here. There's no room for what you believe. There's no room for what you say. There's no room for you. And of course, that that doesn't affect our friendships, right? That doesn't affect our family relationships. Now, before we go on, I need to pause and remember, this is not a woe is me thing. You know, I, I, I lived up near Detroit uh, for a long time, and it's, it's funny because it, it had these shirts for a while. It was Detroit against the world. It's like, well, there's an attitude, right? <laughs> so, so, so anyway, but that's not, it's true, but it's not, you know, like I've got a chip on my shoulder all the time. Okay, now let's move forward. 1 John 3, 11 through 13. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not marvel. Don't be, don't be shocked, my brethren, if the world hates you. 
This is from the very beginning. This is the first couple of brothers on earth. And one kills the other one. Why? Because he was evil. He was following a totally different path. He had no regard for God. And he resented the brother that did. It wasn't about the brother. It was about who the brother represented. So it's going to change now? No. Now, can, can we at least be intellectually honest with ourselves and admit that we don't understand why the world would hate us and be critical of us? I mean, think about it for a minute. We, we're, we have the truth, not because we are the truth, but because the truth himself has set us free, right? Jesus said, again, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. And we responded to that in faith by saying, I believe. I believe that. And we have experienced the forgiveness. And by the way, the forgiveness since our salvation when we still offend him. We have experienced God's grace. We're living in it. We're living by it. We're hoping in it. Why doesn't the world get it? What, what, why, why are they coming after us? They don't want it. They don't want him. It's explained over and over and over again. They like their sin. It's not personal to us. It's personal against God. So here we have, we've tasted eternity we have all of these promises. We're citizens of the kingdom. And we just don't understand why would someone hate us as a result of that. Luke chapter 6, verses 22 and 23 says this, Blessed are you when men hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and cast out your name as evil. For the Son of Man, for the Son of Man's sake, rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. And then 1 Peter 4, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice in the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. That when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Have you seen how many times? We're not talking about, you know, be happy, right? We're talking about exceeding joy. This is that, look what I got for Christmas. This was just what I asked for kind of joy, right? That's the kind of joy we're talking about. But it's about persecution. God just, his measurement's different, folks. All right, let's go back here. That when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you're reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. In their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he's glorified. I, mean, I could just end there. I'm not going to, but I could just end there, right? right? So now let's, let's think about Peter's experience here. Has Peter had an easy road? No. No, persecution has come down. He's experienced it. So he's telling us from the seat of experience. He's saying, look, I've dealt with this. Please understand. You are very blessed. You should be very joyful because what is waiting for you is amazing. And oh, by the way, you're glorifying God in the process. So what's the promise? The kingdom of heaven is theirs. We've talked enough about the kingdom to where I don't want to, you know, belabor this too much, but the persecuted are, prom are promised being a part of God's eternal kingdom because what they received evidences their faith. Right? 
What they receive, in other words, the persecution, evidences their faith. The other things were the things that we are to be about. They're evidences of our faith as far as what we do. This is the reaction of the world to us. And it evidences our faith. So what are some real situations, as we kind of conclude here then, what are some real situations that um, might be in relation to promoting peace? Let's go back to that for a moment. How about among children, younger and older, right? doesn't matter if you're out of the house or not. Against one another or against your parents? What if you promoted peace? How would your conversation change? How would your conversation change among your siblings? How would your conversation change and your lifestyle change with your parents? Right? So you don't understand my parents are on me all the time. Are you a promoter of peace? <laughs> Are you doing the things that lead to peace? Now, you need to put those shoes on the other feet too, but you get the idea. What are some ways that we can promote peace at work? It's joining in, talking about the boss, right? <laughs> you know, I don't want to be that guy. I don't be that guy that everybody says, yeah, yeah, you're just sucking up to the to the to the boss, right? You know, you're just, you know, you're, you're just doing what you gotta do to get ahead. What do the scriptures very practically speaking, what do the scriptures say? If they say all manner of evil against you, if they make things up about you that aren't true, blessed, happy are you. Circumstances don't matter. What about in the neighborhood? I mentioned to you recently that I got a number of reports from neighbors that there's one particular neighbor that they don't like. Okay? Um, but I didn't tell you this in the course of, uh, I don't know, my neighbors could be hearing this at some point. I doubt it. But sometimes neighbors, I'll, I'll just say it like this. It could hypothetically happen that some neighbors might talk about other neighbors even though that they don't like one neighbor, right? That could happen. Well, again, here's my wife and I. We're in our neighborhood. What if we start participating in that? Ah, yeah, yeah, the other day, right? Or, you know, about this property line or, you know, that tree or whatever. You know, what, what if we jump in on that? Not, not only are we not promoting peace, we're promoting the other stuff, but we're not exhibiting the character of Christ. And I'm just going to say it like it is. I would rather have all the other neighbors tell everybody else about what a weirdo we are, right? Than have us participate in what they're doing. In all these situations, we can either feed the conflict or promote peace, promote getting along. Now, we need to practically consider persecution as well, okay? And by, by the way, I, I realize we're just touching on application here. There's so much that but, but you, you know your world. You, you know what you deal with, right, when it comes to peacemaking. But now let's talk about persecution. First, we need to define it as the Scripture defines it which is just about any negative response to either someone being a Christian or living out their faith in Christ. This is what for the sake of Christ means. If you lose your job because your particular company requires something that goes against a non-negotiable of Scripture, then yes, you are being persecuted. What if they require training or have policies that you consider offensive? That would depend on if those things actually require you to go against what you believe. I mean, just be blunt about it. Sometimes we take our stand not at the point of scriptural things, but at the point of our preferences. We add to scripture and say, no, 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 no. You can't do that. You can't go there. Now, I realize 
I realize where I'm at here. I'm in, I'm in some sensitive territory. But you, before God, need to determine, am I standing against something that I should be standing against? And the answer could very well be yes. If you are demanded, demeaned, sorry, excluded, harassed, or something like that on your school campus because you are living a genuine life for Christ, then you are experiencing or will experience persecution. If you have a family member who criticizes you to other family members because of your relationship with Christ, that is persecution. And you are blessed of God. You are blessed of God because of that persecution. It's interesting that Jesus would choose to have the last thing observed, the last observed characteristic come right after peacemaker, right? This further emphasizes that promoting goodwill, unity, and cooperation will bring about the opposite reaction to the world sometimes. Sometimes it won't. I don't want to make it sound like it's hopeless. It's not, not at all. But sometimes it will. And we have to understand why, what their mindset is. Persecution does not follow the pattern of an observed character quality. Persecution comes as a result of kingdom character. Put another way, a citizen of the kingdom is persecuted for being a citizen and acting like a citizen of the kingdom. We are blessed when we live like we belong to God, and that includes peacemaking. And we are blessed when the world reacts against us. Folks, I, I, I wish I could, you know, stand before you and say, man, every time I felt the heat, you know, I just, I, I just say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to take my stand for the Lord, etc. You know, I, I wish I could say that. I wish I could say that every time I really should have kept my mouth shut, I did. Wish I could say that. But I can tell you this, and I'm just being very transparent. It's been a while, right? But when you commit your life to Christ and you do what you're supposed to do, when I say it's been a while, I'm talking about the persecution, not the, not the lifestyle, okay? <laughs> trying to live my life. But, but when, 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 you're, when you're trying to live for Christ and you... Possibly even get like some, I mean, some, some like really nasty stuff coming your way. Uh, it's not going to feel good. It's not. It's going to be hard. But that's where that endurance comes in. But that's also where that focus needs to come in. And ultimately, we need to look at that and say, wait a minute, why is this happening? <laughs> right? Why is this happening? It's happening because someone is actually seeing Jesus through my life. I have the privilege of being his representative, of being his ambassador. And someone doesn't like the message because someone doesn't like the one who sent me. And not only am I okay with that, but I am blessed. I am exceedingly joyful because I am actually coming alongside of Christ and experiencing what he did. That is a character quality of someone in the kingdom. We don't go out looking for trouble. Scriptures tell us to live peaceably with all men as best as you can. But there's a certain point where peace means compromise, where peace means that we have to change who we are in Jesus. And when we don't, there will be a reaction. And that's good. That's very good. You don't like hearing that, do you? I mean, come on. 
two things. First is to glorify God. Second, you don't know how God's going to use it. You don't know who else is watching. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we have talked today, boy, the subject of getting along, that, that feels good. Even when it might not happen, if, if, we've, if we've made the effort, if we've followed your word and we've, we've tried to be that promoter of peace, there's some satisfaction there. But boy, when we get to persecution, when we're doing what we're supposed to be doing and the result is that someone, it drives them so nuts that they come after us, either behind our backs or to our faces or whatever, Lord, around the world we see sometimes it can be physical torture and death. We haven't even talked about that. Heavenly Father, may we understand that that is a reflection of our character in you. It's a reflection really of your character, of your leading. It actually shows us, reveals to us that we are yours. So Lord, I pray that you would give us courage, that we would not shrink back. When we simply live and speak Christ. And Heavenly Father, if if we know that we're not doing that, if we are actually in a state right now, we're at a point where we have shrunk back, where, where we avoid, where we dodge, where we almost come to the point of denying. I pray that we will see and actually desire the blessing that comes with identifying ourselves with Jesus, regardless of the cost. Not to thump our chest, but to praise you that we have been able to be a part of the kingdom here on earth. Lord, we ask that you use it. We ask that you use us. Whatever comes our way, big or small, irritations or threats, Heavenly Father, may we endure those with exceeding joyfulness because we are your heirs. It's all ours. We're going to receive the kingdom. I pray, Lord, that we invest now. In Jesus' name, amen.